Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so it's kind of a heavy uh, topic today, so I thought I would try to lighten the mood uh, with an opening clip from the show Parks and Rec. Uh, some of you might know this show. There's a character on there who always has the sunniest disposition. Uh, he's pretty much a grown child, so let's see if he can cheer us up just a little bit I'm here. Fine. It's just that life is pointless and nothing matters, and I'm always tired. Also, I can't sleep. I'm overeating. None of my old hobbies interest me. Okay, that didn't work. Found the one clip where he's not, not himself there. Um, the first thing I want to talk to you about, though, with Ecclesiastes is how you feel hearing these words. How do you feel about it? And it might depend on what's going on for you right now in life. Uh, might depend on some of your experiences. I know sometimes when I hear, um, for example, my children uh, complaining about the injustices of life, uh, sometimes I don't have quite as much empathy as I should. I mean, I'm sorry that you wanted the green socks and you only have the red ones, um, but I'm not really that bothered by this. And so maybe we're not, not as sensitive sometimes when somebody's complaining about something uh, or lamenting in this way. Uh, we may, may not be as responsive uh, to it, and it just comes across as kind of a Debbie Downer. I mean, think about that. You know, you ask in our culture, you ask, uh, how are you doing? I mean, that's just a typical exchange. Hi, how are things? And what do you expect the other person to say? Doing great. They're not actually telling you how things are. And if they did start telling you, maybe you'd back away slowly from the interaction that you're having with them. So sometimes we don't really want to hear it and we don't feel like we kind of want to just shut our eyes and our ears to it. Uh, but at other times in our lives, these words have deep resonance for us. We are experiencing something uh, in this regard, and now we feel by God's word like we are seen and known, like I'm actually understood in what I'm feeling right now. Take a moment just on your own here and think about an injustice that you have experienced. Maybe it was something where you worked really hard for a promotion and you kind of got overlooked by someone else that was less deserving in your mind. Uh, maybe it was someone that you had poured a lot of uh, energy and emotion into in terms of a relationship and uh, that favor was not returned. I'll stop talking for a second and let you think for a minute. Now, Ecclesiastes can be hard for us to hear, as the video uh, stated, but we also find that it is deeply relatable to our experience, no matter what stage of life we are in or what we have experienced. And I want to talk first about three uh, keys of wisdom in Ecclesiastes, and then I want to unpack for us a deeper wisdom that we are actually calling for in Ecclesiastes. The first bit of wisdom that we see 
in Ecclesiastes is that it is universally true. So I mentioned uh, earlier my Iranian friend that I help with his English on Wednesdays, and he's not always super open to me talking with him about Jesus or interested, I suppose you could say. Uh, But if I were to visit with him uh, on a Wednesday morning and lead off with something like this about the uh, kind of vanity of life and the injustices of the world and the seeming random chance of things, you know what he'll say? Yep. And he often talks about what's going on with his family or what's going on in his home country and just, oh, what is happening here? This doesn't make any sense. And in fact, if we were to walk into any cultural setting, any language, any time in history, you would find that this is universally relatable to people. If there's not a, a lot of distinction here. And this is a very helpful bit of wisdom for us because a lot of times when we think about how we relate to others in our lives, we want to do so from a position of glory or prestige or success. So, oh, do you have the same hobbies and interests that I do? Oh, do we share the same politics, right? Whatever the thing is, oh, you've had success in this regard or you're from this background. And a lot of times those things, one, they can only go so far and two, they fall on their face. I I heard some people this last week talking about um, how so many folks choose alternatives to church today, right? And one of those being soul cycle, if you guys have ever heard of soul cycle. <laughs> and it's this religious experience of cycling, right? But of course, if you can't ride anymore, or if you can't afford the classes, there's a point at which that's going to stop, that the, the relatability is going to miss. Uh, a friend of mine was here last uh, fall doing a, a book talk with us uh, called Low Anthropology, and that was his whole insight was that actually having a, a realistic view of human nature and what we experience in life is actually a place for greater empathy or sympathy for yourself and other people. And that's the first piece of wisdom in Ecclesiastes is that we have unity with each other in our shared suffering and in our need. If you're looking to love and welcome your neighbor in response to God's love, this is the place where God is working for us. So that's, that's the first bit of wisdom. Second bit of wisdom that is helpful to us, who wrote this book? Do you guys know? You didn't want Bible quizzes on a Sunday morning. Uh, he puts it in code language for us at the very beginning when you hear it read. He says, I am a David's son, king of Israel. So we're talking about Solomon, right? We're talking about King Solomon. And in terms of kings of Israel, where would you rank Solomon in comparison? We like ranking people and things, don't we? Uh, So where would you rank Solomon in comparison to the other kings? Way up high. Right? When Jesus comes on the scene, people are hoping that he will restore that kind of glory to Israel. I mean, David was a good king. He was a king after God's own heart, although he was also constantly at war uh, with other kings and with his own family, <laughs> causing all kinds of uh, struggle. Uh, the kings that come after Solomon immediately divide up the kingdom, and there's all this kind of confusion, and you know, I can't even keep track of it. But Solomon, Solomon has peace. Solomon has prosperity. He has prestige. Other nations in the world want to come and learn from him and gain his wisdom and his insight. They bring tribute to him. With Solomon, there's a chicken in every pot. Everything's good. Everything's good. 
That is the position from which he writes these words to us today. I find that very helpful because a lot of times we have this delusion and our world seeks to give us this delusion that if I only had a little more money, a little more security, a little more honor, a little more fame, a little more respect, if I just get over whatever that that hill is on my horizon, if I just get over that hill, I'll be there. I remember they interviewed uh, Michael Phelps years ago, right after he had won, I don't know, how, how many gold medals did he win? This is my chance to not know the answer to the quiz. Too many. Too many. He won them all, okay? All of them. <laughs> this reminds me of uh, Soren Kierkegaard when he was asked how many Lutherans there were in Denmark. He said, all of them. All right? All of them. Uh, so how many gold medals did, uh, did he win? All of them. He just got them all. And you'd think, whew, now you can rest easy. And when they asked him how he was feeling about this, he said he was empty. Felt empty. Like it actually didn't get him to where he thought he was going to go. And a lot of times in our, in our world, it's, it's easy if, if you are, see yourself as a person who's lacking what you need, you can assume that I'll get there. But what about the people who've achieved it all? We usually don't have any mercy for them in our lives, right? In our world. If you've got all the money, why would you be unhappy, right? If you've had all this success, why would you find it unfil- unfulfilling? Well, Solomon's telling us because it doesn't, it's not what we we're created for, right? We we weren't actually made in order to have satisfaction in our achievements, but actually from God's gifts. So there's some really profound wisdom here in in, uh, not giving ourselves these false uh, senses of what we're supposed to be like. I mean, this happens for us even as Christians where we feel like, you know, if if, uh, you're really trusting in God, if you're really doing these things, then you'll feel perfectly fine about it. And my friend said, boy, you must be really happy people. It's not always the case for us. Even with the hope that we have, we know uh, the struggles that we are experiencing in our lives. And that leads to the third uh, piece of wisdom here, that Ecclesiastes gives us permission to tell God how we feel. We have permission to tell God how we feel, to complain. I remember when I was growing up, I don't know, maybe my sisters and I did this too often, but my mom sometimes would say, I'm sorry, the complaint department is closed. They just didn't want to take any more from us on this. And because, you know, it's hard for us to hear that. It's hard for us to live in that. Uh, and yet with God, he, the complaint department is never closed with the Lord. He can handle it. He takes it. He experiences it with us. It's fine with him. Uh, and so that is a, a, a deep wisdom for us because, you know, sometimes I think, As Christians, we might be thinking we have to have a sunny disposition or we might have to have all of our stuff together around other people. We must be smiley, happy people because of our faith. And that's not really the case for us. God doesn't need us to be a certain way for him to love us and to be working in our lives. And so this is a a very helpful bit of wisdom for us as well. Now, this is all good wisdom for us. So far, so good. You appreciate it. It's helpful. But we need more, don't we? We need a a deeper wisdom. Or as um, uh, in the books, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, they would call it a deeper magic. I don't know if you guys have ever read 
uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. These are children's books with talking animals and all kinds of exciting things. And even if you're not a child, I encourage you to just pick them up and read them this summer. Make them your light reading for the summer. Whether you have kids around or not, I do puppet stuff even without any children around. So you can read a children's book right, on your own. Uh, and in this book, they talk about the magic uh, of life, meaning that uh, what you get in, you put out, right? If someone breaks a, a, a rule, there's a consequence for it, right? It's the, kind of the understandable first level wisdom of creation, of life, of how we expect things to go. But when they think all is lost because they know what the magic is going to do, Aslan, the Jesus figure in the story says, ah, but they forgot about the deeper magic. They forgot about the deeper magic. Do you guys want to know what the deeper magic is from Ecclesiastes? It happens in chapter 2 for us. And it still sounds pretty terrible to our ears. So listen to this. I'm reading from the message translation. I hated everything I'd accomplished and accumulated on this earth. I can't take it with me. No, I have to leave it to whoever comes after me, whether they're worthy or worthless. And who's to tell? They'll take over the earthly results of my intense thinking and hard work. Smoke. What's the point of working your fingers to the bone if you hand over what you worked for to someone who never lifted a finger for it? Smoke. Do you hear what he's saying? Well, he's talking about injustice. But when I heard him say these words... When I, when I read it again this past week, you work your fingers to the bone. You toil, you earn, you do what is right, and then you leave it to someone else, whether they're worthy or worthless. Do you hear what he's describing? It's the gospel. He may not know it in this moment of his writing. But he is describing what you and I have benefited from. Jesus works his fingers to the bone. He does what is right perfectly throughout his life. And he dies and he leaves it to people, to you and me, worthy or worthless. Who's to tell? There isn't anyone to tell. There is no measurement. There's no justice in it. The injustice of the cross is that Jesus leaves us everything. He is the new thing under the sun. And we are blessed immeasurably by his work. See, even in Ecclesiastes, even in this downer of a book, which, you know, seems like, gosh, you know, the, the hardest things you could say are here. There isn't any other kind of wisdom out in the world that can come at what we believe, at our faith. They can't go any deeper than this. But even in that space, we have this promise and this hope in Jesus Christ, and it actually changes everything for us. You know, he talks about holding loosely to these things. And, and earlier you heard it read in chapter one, the wind blows this way and the wind blows that. You can't control any of it. Well, in the New Testament, we learn that this is good news, right? That the spirit is at work in our lives, blowing this way and that, and we cannot control it. That's not a reason for despair. It's a reason for hope. And promise, because the Spirit is working right now in your life. Even if it looks like vapor to you or you can't grasp hold of it, it's not without meaning. It's got God's perfect purposes at work in it. And so we're free. 
We're free to hold loosely to our control over things, to work hard individually and as the church and leave the heritage of our faith to another, right? To a next generation, to those outside of our walls right now. It's good news for us and for them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.